0: The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. <music>
1: Uh, Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Luis Morante of California YIMBY, as in, yes, in my backyard.
2: That's right. Thanks for having Uh, me.
1: And we're going to talk about housing today. Yesterday, uh, much to uh, many people's surprise, SB 827, the big housing bill of the year, died a very quick death, at least by Sacramento standards. Is it really dead? We'll talk about that. It may come back. But um, first, were you surprised by that vote and um, what happens next?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I I wanna underscore I wanna underscore the point here that SB two was ambitious, to say the least. As it was introduced, it would have affected almost every major urban area in a pretty significant way in California. And so we knew from the onset that this was gonna be a long process. Now if you had asked me at the beginning of the, the, the legislative process if A Democratic chair would work that hard to kill um, a bill that was authored by one of his Democratic colleagues on his committee, I would have been surprised. Um, And I think a lot of us were surprised to see that eventuality come uh, to pass. Um, But the idea of SBA 27 is far from dead. Even if the vehicle, Mm -hmm. the temporary form, is now dead, um, it will be reincarnated. What were the tensions there?
1: What were the, um, you know, it's a rural versus urban. Is it environmental versus something else. I know Sierra Club didn't like it. Other environments did like it, though. Right. Uh,
2: Yeah, so I would say the state's major environmental organizations, the ones that like you see in the cap-and-trade debates and like really, you know, in really prominent roles, um, they were mostly in support of it. So National Resources Defense Council, um, Climate Resolve, um, uh, Environment California were all in support of the bill. And, you, um, but you're right, Sierra Club was posed. Wow. Um, the bill, the bill largely revealed something that I think activists in my organizations have identified for the last couple of years, but like that the state largely speaking hadn't identified. It identified major fissures between tennis rights activists, between within within oh, okay. w- like within that that movement, yeah. um, within the affordable housing movement. So, like the affordable housers, some some like national uh, nonprofit housing association, which represents seven hundred and fifty uh, nonprofit housers, um, they were in strong support of the bill, testified in support. Yeah. Uh, others, like the Western Center on Law and Poverty, testified in opposition. Um, and it, it has revealed a great schism in the environmental movement that has been growing for a very long time, but is now out in the open for everybody.
1: The, the idea that you have uh, an eight story apartment building, or a five story, as it wound up, four to five stories as it wound up. That's right. Um, the idea that you have that within a certain region, certain zone around um, a major trans, transit stop. Yeah. Um, ultimately, that's got to help air quality, doesn't it? If, if people who live near that stop take that to work, then you have hundreds of people across the state, thousands of people, not yeah. driving their cars uniquely to work. So that's got to be, why wouldn't Enviros, why wouldn't they like that? I guess it's a question for them, but that sounds like something they would like. Yeah,
2: so I think I, I think two things, two or three things step out from the, their conversation. I think many parts, if not all parts, of the environmental movement in California have been trending towards being, it, 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 being more diligent about including uh, components of, like, equity of social justice and mm-hmm. environmental justice in all of their policies. Um, one of my favorite sort of coalitions is the health and all policies. that's happening at the state level where you try to include some public health aspect in every decision that we're making yeah. from, you know, prison siting to, you know, pharmaceutical regulation, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, so I think, I, I think there were genuine equity concerns that uh, we intend to, to, to work on in the return of the bill um, that a lot of those organizations had. Um, and I think, that, I, I think those are very valid um, about not displacing low-income tenants. We worked very hard to put in anti-displacement language in the bill. Um, but we all sort of like in that conversation, in the equity conversation, we really got stuck at what percentage and like what percentage of the apartments would be for like, like um, designated for low-income or um, uh, very low-income yeah. uh, people. Um, that's a that's an ongoing conversation, but I think the point that we all missed in that conversation was that 90% of uh, people who live below 80% of the average median income in California live with zero, no, none form of assistance for their rent from any form of the government, largely speaking, no Section 8, no, um, Subsidized unit, no direct assistance, um, and so if we don't address market rate reforms, we're not addressing a large swath of people who are being screwed over by the increasing average cost in rent.
1: Is is a market rate ref- reform a form of a, a rent control?
2: The bill, as it was, so I mean, this is this is. I mean, I convinced Republicans to vote yes on developer funded rent control. Like, there was developer-funded rent control in SBA 27.
1: So part of their fee structure would serve as a revenue stream to subsidize?
2: That's right. So under the last version of SBA 27, and I think this provision is a very good one that we'd like to keep in the bill going forward or in the idea going forward, Mm -hmm. even if it's not this bill, was that if a developer were to come in and demolish a uh, rental building... Mm the developer would be required, it's not optional, it is required. Um, the developer has to um, find a, a commensurable unit um, for the tenant, um, pay any increase in rent for the next three and a half years, and then when the new building is done, the landlord, the then landlord, has to offer the displaced tenant the right to return to that building at the rate that the old tenant was paying. Which, so all of this is saying, we're gonna freeze your rent in wow. time and developers will pay for any adjustment to the market rate rent.
1: Did the developers line up to testify against us? They, the, they absolutely
2: they like? lined up to support it because wow. everybody recognizes on that side of the table uh-huh. that this is a huge problem wow. um, and they're willing to be a part of the solution. And so, you know, I think I was pulling my hair out a little bit when people were saying, you know, well, this is a real estate bill and not a housing bill. It's very much not the case. This is absolutely a forthright solution to the state's housing crisis. Um, one that is not not an option, like it's it's not a sufficient solution to the housing crisis. And I, I try to slice the housing crisis into many different crises, mm-hmm. but is zoning reform, if not the exact text of SB two seven, is a necessary component of seeing an affordable market rate unit um, in California?
0: So now, there is a question for you. This, so, what in a perfect world, what percentage of the housing crisis would this particular bill have addressed. How many units would it have sure. supposedly created, how many people would actually be able to get housing that doesn't exist now? Sure. So I
2: think I, I think on the on the one of the most interesting things about the bill to me always was that the bill both did nothing and everything. And you can't, you know, when you when you pass a bond, for example, as you know, I, I'm supporting the bond in November and um we're going, to, we're going to, as a state, hopefully pass a $4 billion housing bond. When you when you pass a bond, you can say, oh, okay, well, here's the amount of money we're going to raise. Here's the amount of money it costs to build a below market rate unit, which is about $300, uh, $332,000. And so you can do the math very quickly, right? That's simple arithmetic about how many units you're going to create. Zoning reform is different. Um, we would have affected... Um, every major transit stop in the state of California, um, but we also wouldn't have created anything. Like nothing about the world would have been different on January 2 um, if the bill had been signed and implemented. It's just now certain things wouldn't be illegal, like building an apartment building. We have analysis from two different sources that I was citing heavily. One is from McKinsey done in 2016, who said the state is three and a half million units behind on its inventory um, which is widely that, that's uni- that number is universally accepted on all sides of these tables. Um, that three and a half million mm-hmm. unit shortage
1: might even be more. Some numbers I saw were higher than that. There were uh, four million, I think.
2: It, it, it I think people's range mm-hmm. exists between three and a half and four, mm-hmm. um, but but three like this McKinsey study is the cream of the crop, mm-hmm. um, and they found McKinsey found that by basically doing SBA two seven, although they, don't, they obviously don't call it that, we could have added three million units to the housing stock. So. In, in, in transit priority areas, right? So we are three, three and a half behind. We could have added probably three by doing significant zoning reform around transit. Now, mm-hmm. whether that comes to pass because of 827 is hard. I, I'm not gonna say that because like construction, as, as is any economy, is a very complicated co- economy that has like multiple inputs. But A 827 would have at least legalized those apartment mm-hmm. buildings if not outright led to their
1: development. <clears throat> You know, um, I only noticed this in Northern California when I, I lived in Southern California. came up north years ago. And the thing that struck me up here in the San Francisco Bay Area was that housing costs increased the closer you got to the BART stations. Mm-hmm. It was true in Lafayette. It was I lived in the East Bay. It was true in Lafayette. It was true in Orinda. It was true in Walnut Creek, yeah. uh, Concord. It was just odd. I'd never seen that in San Diego. But in Northern California, the transit stops are like really drivers of housing values and cost
2: yeah absolutely because you know i think uh, i think there are there are a lot of people who are sort of like professional opinion havers on like how people want to move around in this (laughs) world
1: he's making fun of us
2: (laughs) (laughs) but you know not not to not to belittle the two gentlemen here with me today but like a lot of those people come from an era when like the word transportation just like described different types of a car.
1: Cars, right? Yeah.
2: And so, like now that's different. Like I don't own a car, and I never intend to because wow. they're, they're very expensive. I'm impressed, yeah. Thank you. Um, my, my bike gets me everywhere. You know, I can call a nine dollar lift to get to the, the the to get to my doctor's office in Rancho if I ever need to.
0: Well, when he arrived here on a Segway.
2: <laughs> I walked here. I'll have you know. Um, but you know, I I just think like people see public transit as a very important resource now.
1: Don't you ever want to take a Sunday drive or go up to the mountains or something? Or I mean... Pick he, mushrooms in the Sierra or... <laughs>
2: so, no.
0: <laughs> but, he would like to stay alive and not eat the poison yeah. mushroom.
2: But, like, you know, I, I also acknowledge that there are types of people who want to, like, take a drive to the Sierras just, like, as a joyride, right? That's fine. Like, this is America. You can do that. Um, <laughs> I think it's now I like if i were if I were talking to that person who like could walk to work but then also wanted to go driving on the weekend, yeah. I would have a real heart to heart with them about whether or not a forty thousand dollar investment that we know will depreciate at an extremely rapid rate right. is worth that Sunday that you went one time yeah. um, now, I go up to grass valley my 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 grandmother has a house in Nevada City, and I go up to visit frequently. I don't know if my grandma's a listener, but I'm, I'm trying to earn credit here with, uh, with, the, with the other grandmas who are listening. Um, and all I do is I rent a car from Enterprise. Do you know how much it costs to rent a car at Enterprise? Point 19 bucks? It's $20 a day. Which is like not expensive. If you now, if you not a, that we're
0: endorsing Enterprise <laughs> here. <but. laughs>
2: yes, like yeah, I, I only use Enterprise because it's within walking distance of my house. But you know, could, have, you,
1: been Avis, could, could have, have been Avis. Could
2: have could have been anything. But you know, if you want to if you want to get insurance and a rent a car o- over the weekend here in Sacramento, anyway, it's going to run you about thirty five dollars a day total. Which for me is like substantially cheaper than the average. Sure. Um, I think it's about. It's about nine thousand dollars a year that Americans spend on their cars. In, in it, that's a triple A. There's a triple A number. Americans spend nine thousand dollars a year on their car in just in insurance, gas, wear and tear, and depreciation of the asset.
0: John, you really should have kept your 1984 yeah. Scirocco. You would not <laughs> have <laughs> been spending nine thousand bucks a year. Yeah, totally um, Totally
2: true. And so, you know, I, when I think about housing affordability, I think about that. So, if you look at like what's burdening. So, so California is the most poor state in the country, which I, like, I, I try to lead every conversation with. Um, and it's the most poor state in the country, the poorest uh, state in the country, because when you combine our transportation and our housing costs, people are spending upwards of 60 percent of their income on those two things. In dramatically high yeah. high numbers highest in the in the country it's amazing well and it's, it's the worst in the rural shocking.
0: areas yes which frankly are the ones who are not going to be able to get rid of their car because they're not within walking distance of an avis that's right
1: but we're the sixth largest economy
0: that's right
2: exactly so <laughs> it, it, there's, weirdness reigns here there, there's a real there's a real what housing justice uh, scholars call a spatial mismatch between like where the good things are and where the people who need the good things are so, like, if you want a job in the Bay Area, you can, in, in this economy, usually get one. It's not that hard now. Unemployment rates in all these cities are below 5%, in some places below 4 But the Bay Area has 3 million jobs and 2 million, the capacity to house 2 million people. So you do the math, right? Yeah. So a million people coming to the Bay Area every day. <laughs> so, like, when I, you know, we got, we got... Um, a lot of interest, actually, from our more sort of suburban, sort of rural um, uh, legislators in the yeah. bill because they are seeing ag like conversion of natural and working lands to housing that they don't want to see in their districts, and their constituents know that like they know their constituents are are, are traveling in some places upwards of two hours each direction to okay. commute,
1: unreal, and like. I don't
2: know. Nobody wants that. Like that's a yeah. that's a, like the Bay Area has. those are called super commuters. Bay Area has the highest percentage of super commuters commuters of every region in the United, United States and it has the highest highest increasing um, the, the highest the highest change or fastest change in that number of any region in the state in, in the country. So we're we're both we have we both have the most super commuters and we're both adding the most super, super commuters, which is well, like unacceptable.
1: With the um death, at least for now, of 827, what's, what's the, the main takeaway? Sure. If we could sort of distill this and maybe get the main takeaway with what happened and what happens next.
2: Sure. Um, well, I, and, and let, me, let me, I'll flip that. What happens next is th- th- this policy is going nowhere. Um, you know, this is a necessary solution to the state's housing crisis. My organization, California MB, will be working on this policy for a long time. Um, and we intend, I I think what now, now what happens next is we make this a bigger tent affair than we did when we originally introduced the bill. I mean, we, my organization started in November, we introduced this bill 60 days later. And so we didn't have the time to, I think, spin up a real stakeholder process. But one of the, one of both the problems and the positives of this bill was that it generated a lot of coverage.
1: Yeah,
2: Uh, And so a lot of people are now aware that this is an issue we had research suggesting, we had some economists look into this, and the economists found that the bill would have had, um, the bill would have reduced rent in San Francisco by about 5%, it would have reduced rent in Los Angeles by about 4.2%. Separate from that, we we have um, a Zillow study that was done in, I think 2016, that found that a 5% increase in the rent in 2018 would lead to 2,000 more homeless Angelenos. People who are just wow, pushed bro. out of their home. Okay. So like SBA 27 coupled, like these two re- these two p- pieces of research coupled together convinced me that this is, a, this is a very strong way to address the causes of homelessness, if not the actual condition of homelessness. Now, obviously to have a sufficient and complete solution to the state's incredible crisis of homelessness, um, you have to do everything. Um, but if you want to stop creating... Um, the condition of homelessness, you need to do something on the market rate to mitigate price increases, mm-hmm. such as increasing supply. Um, and that's, I, I don't want to suggest that's a sufficient way to do that. But there are lots of people who have different opinions than me about how to address this problem. Mm-hmm. And going forward on 827, um, we're going to try to work with as many of those people to, to, to craft, craft whatever the idea becomes again, um, in a way that like kind of gets everybody's views represented so, and is more. So
0: you're going to work with the other opinion havers. There, we're going to work with. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, yes. Now, I think there are. I, I would. I would differentiate those types of opinion havers from the ones I was making fun of earlier. The ones I was making fun of earlier are like more your planning commission R.S. people. <laughs> yeah, your 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 armchair uh, armchair generals um, at city hall. Um, <laughs> we're never going to convince the League of Cities and cities generally that this is the right – like, my – like, cities have – cities have had the power to fix this problem for 50 years. They just have. Like, they can all – like, they can all say, okay, great, we're going to – we're going we're gonna to actually zone for the capacity of people that were were like, it, here's the thing. California's population increase is attributable to natural population growth, like, people who are being born here. People like me. I grew up in the city of Piedmont, which is a very wealthy city in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. The city of Piedmont has had the same population since the nineteen fifties, and the same people, probably Probably the same people. <laughs> um, that's despite a thirty to forty percent increase in the state's population. Yeah. So you do that, you do that math, right? Like where I'm living in Sacramento now.
1: I think the residents of San Francisco, I think it's around seven hundred fifty, eight hundred thousand. 800,000. Yeah. So it's been seven hundred fifty, eight hundred thousand since. 1963 for a long time forever it's just the same you know
2: and that again is despite massive growth state yeah. statewide yeah. and in San Francisco in the job sector i mean I, you know there's so many just just horrifying stats on this to me yeah. since 2010 San Francisco has added 10.3 jobs per unit of housing that was created so again you do the math about wow. who gets that housing unit right i mean there's just there are so many compelling reasons to address this problem and Local governments have, like, looked at those reasons and decided that they will not act on them. Yeah. Okay. Well, and fair so, enough.
1: I'll tell you what, uh, Louis, next time, when you bring the bill in, we're going to come back and have him back next time. Tell us what's going
2: to happen. Ben, well, you tell me what's going to happen. We're actually going to record the next
0: podcast from inside a muscle car. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're going to make sure Louis confirms that he's not really yeah. excited by driving around in, like, a 67 Firebird. Hey, you know what? No, no. I,
2: I to, to all the listeners out there, that's an exciting, that's an exciting prospect. Yeah. That sounds fun to me. But we can also take transit to work, and we're not going to die if you get on a bus. We'll get on a bar. On that
1: point. Hey, <laughs> okay. Lewis, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very thanks much. Thanks, everybody. Foster, thanks for having thank me. Thank very much. Okay. Uh, this is John Howard. We will chat again next time. Thanks.
0: Great.